Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Story Slam podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories recorded at our live events in Bristol, UK. All the stories you're going to hear are true and come straight from our audience. We release episodes every Thursday where you'll get to hear the next part of our recorded show. If you have a story that you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear it. So please stay tuned till the end for more information on how you can do that. Make sure that you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast. And other than that, enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Story Slam Uninterrupted. This month it's our spooky Halloween month. Uh, it was October's show and we did the theme of the unknown. So this is of course the full uninterrupted show uh, and as it's Sunday that means that we've also got Story Slam happening today. So if you're in Bristol, come and check us out at the Wardrobe Theatre. But for now, enjoy. Everybody, and welcome to the Bristol Story Slam! Woo! Yeah! Oh, so good to see you all! Uh, how was your day? Great. And what's your name? I'm Becky and my day is great! Uh, um, yeah, I'm so excited to be here telling stories with you. Um, we've So much has happened over the summer. Um, I have a new haircut. Yeah, and I bought my first ever turtleneck. <laughs> and Story Slam has a podcast weekly and its own website. Woo! So what's most important? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, great. Well, without further ado, let's get down to what is the Story Slam. Well, we'll be hearing loads of five-minute stories, true stories from you about your lives. Um, and there are five rules to go with this marvellous event. The first is your story has to be true. Um, it's just more real that way. Uh, we just, yeah, it makes, makes it more authentic, and that's sort of why we have the story slam in the first place. The second rule, it has to be five minutes or less. So if when your story has got to five minutes long, you'll hear this sound. <laughs> it's a ukulele! <laughs> and you'll also see um, some lights on the stage, which only the storyteller can see. So one light will appear after five minutes. And then when your five minutes has come, you have one minute grace period where you're allowed to uh, you just finish your story in the next sentence because the time really does fly by. Um, and then after that minute has passed, you'll hear the ukulele again. <laughs> and you'll see two... <laughs> Um, no, don't quit your day job. No. <laughs> wow, that was, I'm sure you're great at ukulele, I'm sorry. Um, and then you'll see two lights coming up on the stage here. I don't know why I'm showing that, because only I can see them right now. <laughs> it's just for me to know. Um, yeah, the, t yeah um, the third rule is they must be about you, or you must be one of the main characters in your story. So I want to hear how it made you feel and how uh, it impacted you afterwards. Uh, fourth rule is they must be stories. So... Um, I don't know whether there's a grey area between anecdotes and stories, but if you feel like there was some change or conflict and you feel differently about it after it happened, then it's probably a story if that, if that sort of thing happened. Um, and then the fifth rule is, uh, 
for the... Please, please don't bring any notes up on stage with you. So we just want it to come... It doesn't need to be perfect at all. Like, we just want it to come from your head and your heart and you don't need to have any notes. If, however, no notes would be like a severely limiting factor for you telling your story, then of course you can bring them up. We just want to hear your story is the main thing. Um, lovely. So if you do want to tell one of those, you just put your name on one of these little things. Um, I mentioned before, but I don't know if all of you are here, they're... Because we have a weekly podcast, um, we want to have your stories on it, but obviously only with your permission. So it's opt-in, so you just need to tick the box if you want to be in it. But you need to... The photography is opt-out, so we have a wonderful, brilliant, fantastic photographer here. Um, and when she... If you don't want to be photographed, just tick that you don't want to be, and that's perfect. Um, yeah, okay. Um, another thing is content warnings. So on the back of each slip, you will... Uh, you just get to tick here if yours has any material in it which you think people might not want to hear about. So things like domestic violence or self-injurious behaviour, that sort of thing. If your story has that, we still definitely want to hear it because it must be very important to you. Um, but uh, I will just read out at the beginning of your story, oh, this has a content warning of, for example, eating disorders or something like that. Um, and then every after I've read out any name for the person, um, whether there's a content warning or not, there'll be like a one or two minute gap uh, just so if people have heard content warnings and they don't particularly want to hear it, you can just go outside, go to the loo, grab a drink. We normally have a craft table, but sadly we don't have this today, But where people go and sit. But um, yeah, that's where to go if, if you don't like the content warning. You're obviously so welcome to come back in whenever you want to, after the story or after half an hour or whatever. Um, and what I often... Uh, do in the lo those little gaps that I talked about is I read the one-line stories. Yeah. Which you are so welcome to grab a pen and write down for yourself. Um, I've got one here. In one or two sentences, tell us a true story about the unknown. At night when it rains in our new house, a strange tap-tapping noise keeps us awake from the blocked-up chimney. Is it a ghost? Is it a mouse? It's unknown! <laughs> O'Reilly, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's just one example. Um, gorgeous. So I think that's all the rules covered up. Um, and as you can tell from that story, this month's theme is a bit of a Halloween, October spooky theme, vaguely speaking. <laughs> the unknown. So it could be a story about maybe something you didn't know was going to happen to you or something you didn't know about yourself or when you took a leap into the unknown and tried something new for the first time. It could be anything at all. Um, let your minds run away with you, please. Uh, um, beautiful. So before we get started, shall I? do you want to hear my story about the unknown? Just for the record, this isn't going on the podcast because my parents listen. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my story! <laughs> Beautiful. Cool. Um, gorgeous. Well, thanks for listening. You were awfully attentive. I'll do a one-line story now just to bridge the gap. Okay. In one or two sentences, tell us a story about the unknown. The apple was a grey-green, rather unappetising colour, and ever so slightly squishy. We were told it was delicious, but we were dubious. We went for it anyway, and thankfully, we were wrong. <laughs> so nice. Oh, my God. Well, 
like, maybe post-Brexit Britain is going to be fine. (laughs) (laughs) The name of the next storyteller is... Ed! And there are three content warnings for this one, which is drink, despair, and death. (laughs) So... God, yeah, you just can't protect yourself from that in life, but you can here, so I'm glad that you don't have to, if you don't want to. Um, Cool, while Ed is just waiting a moment while we get the content warning thing ready, um, tell us a story about the unknown. My computer deleted an essay eight hours before the deadline. Having not read the source material, I pulled an all-nighter and wrote it all over again. Got a 72! Yeah. Um, Listen, kids, it is easy. (laughs) Lit is easy. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm sure it's not. Um, Cool. Is Ed ready to tell his story now? Yes, he is. Oh, hi. Hello. Nice to meet you. Um, Everybody give it up for Ed. Woo! Thank you. Okay, so in August of 2014, uh, I discovered the perfect hangover cure. But before I get into that, I have to get into the hangover, and I have to get into what caused the hangover. And what that was, was I was working a excruciatingly dull uh, office job in the middle of the countryside, and I was very lonely. And when I'm very lonely, I can make uh, decisions which are either amazing or terrible. One of those was to go and visit my friend Ruth in Paris. Uh, She's not here tonight, but she does listen to the podcast, so while while I'm on the air, shout out to Ruth. (laughs) You keep trying, my friend. Um, You're amazing. Anyway, um, she wasn't in the city, so uh, I made the decision to go and visit her, which was the amazing one. But I also made the awful decision to join the other people in the hostel on an organized pub crawl. I continued making that decision. (laughs) Um, And I did all of the things I usually do when I'm drunk. I got very miserable and howled at the moon. And (laughs) no, I always do this. It's it's something to to see. And got very angry about Lost for some reason. And um, went home and slept it off. And then the next morning, I regretted it. I regretted it hard. I regretted it first all over the floor of the lobby of the hostel, and then all over um, a platform of a metro underground station in Paris. And what's nice is they build their metro stations with a little sluice at the back, like a gutter, almost as if it was designed for exactly that purpose. Well, anyway, um, so part one of this miracle hangover cure, Black coffee. None of his cream, none of his sugar, none of that nervy, pavy, you know, just just black coffee. Part two, um, a hot cheese croissant. Or if you don't like cheese, just a hot croissant. Bread has to be involved. Mine had ham, but, you know. Um, Part three, a stroll through the catacombs. (laughs) This had been my original plan, um, to wait out a couple of days in Paris before I saw Ruth. Um, And I was not going to let the searing, agonized pain of the ages localize inside my forehead prevent me from doing that. So I went out into the blazing sun for two hours in a queue, and then um, 
I paid my dues and we descended down the world's longest spiral staircase into a mine, an abandoned mine that was filled with the bones of people who were using, you know, usable grave space during the time of a plague. And, and here's the weird thing. Um, once you've gotten over the sort of the weirdness of it, like the, the horror of seeing all of these bones, you suddenly realize, um, as, as they are very artfully arranged, but it's, it's just a lot of skulls and a lot of femurs, and that's it. And like, you're just kind of like, where, where is the closet where they're keeping all of the other bones? <laughs> like, like there's maybe, I think I maybe saw a fragment of a hip, but apart from that, just like a huge, long underground maze of skulls and leg bones. Which, you know, but it was very beautiful, very interesting. <laughs> and uh, very well lit. Oh, and uh, in classic French style, they didn't just take uh, the bones, they also took some fragments of gravestones. So um, you occasionally, you know, around the corner and there's a large stone um, in French or Latin saying something like, uh, beware you're entering the kingdom of the dead, or um, as I was, um, you are, as I am, you will be. All very cheery stuff. Um, <laughs> And as I said at the beginning of this story, uh, at the time, I was going through a bit of a crisis, eh, ongoing instalment in a long series of crises. Sees, um, I was a little, a little unhappy, um, a little lonely, a little dissatisfied with life, and I'm walking around having the time of my life in this chamber of death. <laughs> it's October. It's on theme, um, and. I get that sort of tired feeling you get when you've been walking around all day. And I sit down on this handy stone bench that's been laid out in this spectacularly grim, dark, cold, friendly to headaches place. And I reach into my bag and um, I'm a literature graduate. Uh, I am also very pretentious about that. So <laughs> without, without consciously realizing it, I open my Kindle and I load up the King James Bible. <laughs> and I turn to a particular part, uh, Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel 20. Not Ezekiel 25, 17, before any of you get, you know, no. But <laughs> the other pop-culturally significant part of Ezekiel, uh, which I paraphrase here, I was in the valley, which was very dry and full of bones. And the word of the Lord, which in, in classic is, is the man who is on fire, came to me and said, Oh man, can these bones live? And I said unto the word of the Lord, Oh Lord, thou knowest. And I'm sounding a bit like a street preacher here. But <laughs> this was the conception of God in those days. He was, he was a judge, he was a divine being, he was a creator, but he wasn't there to shepherd you into heaven or hell. He was the occupier of that space in your own head or in the universe, that gray area of the unknown. God was there to be the full guy for everything you didn't understand and everything which you didn't know if it could happen, but maybe it would. Like maybe the dead would rise. Maybe the bones would join together and flesh would and come upon them and they would breathe again. And then years later, someone would write a catchy song about it. So to close off, uh, 
I am once again working a spectacularly dull office job, and this will bite me in the ass if anyone who also works there listens to this. Um, and I'm also, at the moment, a bit lonely. But the difference is I have become comfortable with the idea of the unknown, with the idea of anything being possible, and with the idea of interacting with that. So that's something to bear in mind if you ever get into a similar situation. <laughs> scary. I don't like not knowing. I don't like being out of my comfort zone. Um, yeah, so thank you for sharing with us that it's part of life and it's something we'll all do. And skulls and femurs, can't live with them, can't live without them. Like, <laughs> if one more person says that to me today. <laughs> Gorgeous. Thank you so much, Ed. Brilliant. Okay, the name of our next storyteller is Anna. Cool, lovely. And the content, I think maybe I need to re-explain what the content warnings mean, because the one for this is France. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, say what you will about like their military intervention, but I think it should be okay, the, the story telling element of it. Um, okay. From the laughter, I think you just content warnings if you if they're like sad or dark. Okay, we get the idea. Lovely. Um, in the meantime, lovely. Um, I moved to Australia not knowing what to expect. I didn't know anyone and just had a shitty map of the city I was based in, which I used for the whole year. But after reaching the accommodation and being greeted by a student bollock, naked, hiding in a bin. <laughs> I knew I was going to be okay. <laughs> I mean, bollocks are all the same in every hemisphere. So yeah, you are gonna be fine. <laughs> okay. um, lovely. Um, if we could give a massive round of applause to my dear friend, Anna. Woo! Um, before I start, I have a couple of disclaimers. One is I cycled here and my saddle was wet, so that's why I'm kind of doing this, because I'm really uncomfortable. Um, and two, I'm going to blame this on dyslexia, but I thought the theme was unexpected rather than unknown. Um, but I guess in some ways they're the same thing. Um, but yeah, I, th there were lots of unexpected and unknown things when I moved to France when I was nearly 19. Um, the context of this is um, I was there teaching English um, with a group of five other people. Um, and we were all living with different host families in the area. Is this... Am I holding this in the wrong place or something? Because it's making a... Mm. Okay, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, I was um, teaching English um, and living with host families. And the thing with living with... Well, I guess moving in with anyone, it's always going to be unexpected. Um, and there's always going to be things about moving to another country that are unknown, like... Like, the blue tack is yellow. Like, <laughs> the first time I saw, like, fixative tack in France, I thought it had gone off. <laughs> like, I was just so confused by this, this weird, yeah, it was yellow. Um, it's also called patafix, which is a, a play on word. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Um, but yes, um, so I was living in France with a host family, 
and also it was like rural France, like very rural France. Now I'm not from the rural, I'm from a big city. I'm very used to being like, being able to get anywhere I like myself, but having access to anything I might need that's only like a short walk away or I can cycle or I can get a bus or whatever. Um, so yeah, living like on the outside, in the house outside of a tiny hamlet, outside the center of a tiny village, outside a tiny town, which was half an hour from the nearest city, was a bit strange and it was very unknown at the beginning. Um, but possibly one of the most surreal things that ever happened to me while I was there. Well, I don't suppose it happened to me, it just kind of happened. Um, I went to a, um, like a, a sport competition. Um, for me, this was also very unknown because no thanks, PE. Um, um, but again, this was one of the things I didn't know about this particular part of rural France, is that if you have a child, your child does sport. Um, and so yes, I ended up going to lots of sports competitions, uh, mainly basketball and football. But this particular one, and it was like an evening thing, I think it was a Saturday night um, at the local sports centre. So the local sports centre being in the centre of the village that we were in the hamlet in the house outside of, um, this village having about a thousand people in it, maybe slightly less in total, so everyone knew each other. Um, yeah, it was in this sports hall thing. And the game was called Pelé, um, which is, it's like a regional game, like, it's something I haven't come across much in England, apart from in like Cornwall and Yorkshire, but like the real sense of like regional identity is really strong in France. Um, and this, this particular area of France, um, they have this regional game called Pelé. And I was kind of like, oh, this is going to be really interesting. Like, my host family took me. Um, um, they were like, oh, you can have a go if you want. Um, I was like, really interested to, you know, find out about this bit of culture. Um, so it was a Saturday, I think it was a Saturday night. It was, it was autumn, so it was quite dark, quite chilly. Um, and we went into this sports hall and <laughs> was just greeted by this mass of, like... <laughs> I didn't expect it to be quite so, like male um like so pale i discovered that night is this game where you've essentially got metal discs and a square of i don't know like a square mat of some kind and you've got you have to try and you stand like so far away and then you have to like try and get the disc to a certain place on the mat and you've got five um and also apparently like just men play it like it was just this room of men throwing these metal discs um, and, and like all the wives and children essentially like stood around like, yeah, this is really fun. Um, and then, and then every time there was a woman playing, they'd point out and they'd be like, yes, you see more and more women are playing this game. And I was like, great. This is clearly a great game. Um, and then the most weird and unexpected and unknown element, ele element of it was, it was a tournament. So there were prizes. Um, and what they won was meat. <laughs> so, me being um, a vegetarian um, from a city in England, just standing in this chilly sports hall where, in like rural, rural Western France, with a load of people who were, m most of them were quite drunk because at any sports event, even if it's just like a kids' match on a Saturday, there will be a bar. Um, <laughs> like slightly drunk people throwing these metal discs around and like cheering like that. Um, and like taking home like meat with them, like <laughs> just had these like
like things of sausages and like mints and that was the prize and I think there might have been some kind of like kitchen equipment as prizes as well I can't remember I think they were like the top ones but anyway like it was just the most like it for me that was stepping into the unknown because <laughs> because well I've never done it again and I never will but like that was the most rural thing that ever happened to me <laughs> in France thank you It's nice with different cultures that we're all different, but we're all the same. <laughs> um, a friend of mine was trying to buy vegetarian sausages in, because obviously they eat lots of meat in France, in France once, and they were like, it is vegetarian, only 10% meat. <laughs> it's just a really like cheap, so that's just water, that's like 90% flour. Oh, I should do a bit about this. Oh, what's the deal with vegetarian sausages? <laughs> Thank you. The name of our next fabulous storyteller is Isabel. However, she has been delayed and is going back in the hat until further notice. Okay. It's like we have our own language. Okay. Um, the name of our actual next storyteller is Jen Might Be Late. Is Jen arrived? Okay. <laughs> Um, well, it's the thought that counts, you guys. It's, you're, doing, you're trying your best wherever you are. Okay. Um, the next storyteller is Terry Bradley. Is there meant to be one? Okay. It's, you'll never, I should say, you'll never get in trouble for like, not putting enough content warnings on it, so don't feel bad. But if, is there one you'd like to say out loud now? <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much. We'll get Terry up in a minute. Okay. Um, the unknown of dating. And sorry, obviously, with those content warnings, if you want to leave, get a drink, use the toilet, you may. I'll do a couple of these little one liners now. The unknown of dating. A few years ago, I found myself newly single and thrust into the unknown world of dating for the first time. I was having a great night out with one guy, laughing, sharing stories, and putting the world to right. This was fab until I asked why he'd gone for a girl like me. His reply was a very sympathetic look before the line, well, it's not all about looks, is it? Oh, oh my God! Oh my God! So unfair! I just could tell, like, he... Oh, my God. Like, what was his mother teaching him at, when he was a child? That's so rude. Okay, one more. Um, I'd, a story about the unknown. I'd hedged my bets. Too many books to read when you do an English degree, so I ignored a few lining up. Lining up to go to the exam, I admitted my gaps to a friend and asked her to uh, pre-sis a book for me. Um, I answered the question on that book and got a degree! <laughs> oh, to summarise, it's got a P in it, to pre-sis... Oh, Pracy. 
that. I pray see in my sleep. Thank you. <laughs> Lovely. Um, if we could all give a massive round of applause to our next storyteller, Terry. Thanks. I'm stepping into the unknown here. Um, I was. Um, I was born into the unknown. Um, and the world's still unknown to me now. Um, when I was thinking about this, I thought, space, sea. But what's my truth? My truth is that I've never really known myself. Um, had no guidance. Um, really troubled as a, as a child and just couldn't make sense of the world. And my parents were busy. Yeah, 13, I got into a lot of trouble. I was... Uh, started a really destructive path. Uh, I see now that, you know, the first time I broke into a car, the first time I took a drug, the first time I slept with someone, it was to feel something because I couldn't feel or recognize what was inside. That was the course for most of my life. Uh, it's, it's led me to some dark places. I, I stepped into the unknown when I walked into prison for the first time, scared and every situation I, I created a persona to, to protect myself. Um, and all the while I was moving further and further away from what was really important, me. So yeah, it, it's, it's been difficult. But I, I've been blessed with some beautiful friends. I've been blessed with seeing the world. I've been blessed with my eyes opening, my heart opening. And, um, you know, I was lost. I didn't know who I was. And I've been posted with labels throughout my life. And they were true. I was a liar. I was a cheat. I was a thief. I was a drug addict, a drug dealer, a criminal. That doesn't matter, you know. That was in the past. What matters now is that those labels don't define me because the moment that I started to look inside and ask myself, who am I? For all you literature, uh, literature grads and stuff, that's big in literature, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, it's a really important question and probably one of the hardest ones that I've ever asked myself. And I had to face things, face all of those messages that I picked up as a child, face those beliefs that I picked up. But, but more difficult, that conflict really came when I started to see that there was good, a good side to me. And I didn't want to believe that. But it's true, I am good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good because I'm kind, I'm loving, I'm generous. I think about other people. I enjoy life. I, I open myself up to the universe and, and sing a song from the heart. And you know what? Sometimes that song sang back. And that's beauty. That's, that's a real beauty. And you can find that anywhere. I suppose what I'm trying to say is that I am still unknown. You know, it's still... A, uh, a journey of discovery to find myself. But each step I take along the way, I learn a little bit more. I see a little bit 
more of the good side and I'm able to put some distance between where I was and that's living for me. That's, that's, that's where it's at. And then, do you know what? It doesn't matter what happened in the past because that can't be changed. But, but living in the now, embracing life and opening yourself up to experience, to love. Cool, love was unknown. <laughs> I had a love of drugs and that was it. But yeah, it's good. And do you know what? I wish it for every single one of you here today that you can enjoy the most out of life. Thank you. Bloody awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for telling us your story and for, yeah, just like being like, I don't care, I don't care if it's hard, I'm just gonna do, yeah, thank you. Obviously, there's just nothing I can say. Like, thank you so much. Brilliant, okay. Um. Oh, isn't that nice? It's not all gonna be shit, is it? <laughs> like, some of it's gonna be fine. Okay, oh, amazing. Um, okay, the name of our next storyteller is Thomas Bloom. Ooh. Amazing, we'll give him a moment just to prepare himself. Um, and in the meantime, the cave was dark, scarcely lit by my headlight. I carefully negotiated around the crystal clear pools, untouched for centuries. I slipped. Ooh. I thought there'd be like a ending on the back. <laughs> like, are you okay? <laughs> Is this sent from beyond the grave? I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, amazing. Well, let's give a massive round of applause to our next storyteller, Thomas Bloom. Hello? Okay. Um, so this is a story about the moment of purest confusion of my life, which was also not coincidentally the moment of the drunken, most drunken I've ever been in my entire life. Uh, this started a couple of years ago. So a friend of mine, Nick, was working in London at Deloitte, and one day he called me out of the blue and he said, it's a bit of a strange request, but next Saturday, uh, would you like to be the, my plus one to a fancy black tie work dinner? there's an open bar. And I said, you have me at open bar, of course I'll go. So we went and tuxedos and everything, and uh, it was a very fancy dinner. There were melon balls and red wine jus, etc. <laughs> and after the food began the serious business of the drinking, and it was literally an open bar, as in an unlimited free bar, you could order whatever alcohol you wanted without limit and just drink it. That's probably the reason for the financial crisis, by the way, because these are all city people. Uh, I think this happened every week for them. So we went and we drank, and I gave a lot of... I pretended to be a banker and gave a lot of fake investment advice, and <laughs> I'm probably responsible for the next financial crisis. And then at some point, it got to like half ten or something, and they said, oh, the bar's closing in ten minutes. Quick! So we... <laughs> We each went to the bar and ordered five double whiskies each, because what else do you do? And then we took them back to the table and drank five double whiskies in ten minutes before they kicked us out. 
So I was quite drunk <laughs> by that point. And then, as happens with memories of a drunken night, suddenly we're in a club, as you do, and I was dancing very gracefully and elegantly and <laughs> impressing everyone, and then <laughs> suddenly the switch goes in your head, and, you, and I decided, forget it, I'm tired, I want to go home and sleep in my bed. I looked across and saw Nick, and he was dancing with his work friends. I thought, I'll leave him, I'll call him tomorrow and thank him, I'm just going to slip out. So I left without saying a word into the night, into the London, London night. The thing I haven't told you is that I didn't live in London at this time. I lived in Bristol still. I was going to stay with Nick for the weekend in a flat I'd never been to. But through my impenetrable fog of drunkenness, my logic clearly went, I am drunk, I am out. That normally happens in Bristol. In Bristol, I know the way home, and I can walk home, therefore I can walk home now. And I must know the way home because I'm drunk. So I just walked for half an hour through central London, where I'd barely been, with complete confidence. You've never seen anyone walk with such confidence and bravado and swagger. <laughs> Left, right, straight on, I didn't hesitate, I just walked. And I thought, any minute now I'm going to be home. In fact, I looked so confident, at some point some poor couple came up to me and asked me for directions. <laughs> and. To this day, I have no idea what they asked me for or what I said to them, but I remember giving them very detailed instructions. <laughs> I drew them a map on a napkin. I have no, what did I draw? I have no idea what I drew. Or what I told them, they're probably still in London to this day, thinking he seems so sure he must be right. So this went on for a while. And then my phone rang and I picked it up and it was Nick. And he said, where the hell are you? And I said, don't worry about it. I'm going home to sleep. You have a good time, I'll call you tomorrow. And he said, no, where the hell are you? And I said, I'm going home. And he said, no, you're in London. I said, no, I'm in Bristol. He said, no, you're in London. I said, no, I'm in... Oh, crap. And like in the films, my, my arm just fell to my side. And I looked around and I was in a dark alleyway at God knows o'clock in the morning in central London, which I didn't know at all. And I realized, I, I, all, it was like a, the scale had reversed and all the confidence that I felt before was replaced by sheer panic and confusion, and I've, which I've never felt before or since. And I brought the phone back up to my ear and I said, where the hell am I? <laughs> and he said, I don't know, where the hell are you? <laughs> and he said, can you see a name of a street? And I said, and I looked, and I thought, no, I, I can't read that. I can't, it was a different language. I thought, I cannot understand those letters. I clearly have walked to France or something. <laughs> and he said, so you've walked for half an hour in London, and you've forgotten how to read. I said, yes, that about sums it up. What the hell do I do? So he said, walk until you find someone who knows where you are. So I walked, and I found a kebab shop. And I went into that kebab shop, and they told me where I was, and I told Nick where I was. He arrived, he called me a prat, we ate a kebab, <laughs> and we went home. The moral of the story is, if you have to face the unknown, you can face it with confidence or with confusion, or you can not choose not to face it at all, just never face it after five double whiskeys. <laughs> Oh, you made
made yourself like a right fool, didn't you? <laughs> um, yeah, thanks so much. That's so. I wish we maybe we should have a theme one month of just like drinking stories <laughs> because things happen, don't they? You don't know where you are, don't know who you are, but we're all here. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Gorgeous. Okay. Um, I think. Lovely. Oh, the name of our next storyteller is Helen. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, great. Okay. And while you're just preparing yourself, Helen, I'm going to read a one-line story. I'm seven, waiting. Daddy has gone again to war. Will he come back? I'm so, yeah, I'm so sorry. That's a horrible feeling. I can't even imagine how that feels. Okay. Pretty much any teacher in the audience will empathize with this. The moment where you ask your superiors, what's the curriculum? And they reply with, we don't know. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Yeah, I feel like... <laughs> I've had my first proper job for about six weeks now, and I think I'm learning that like climbing the ladder is work is just like pretending that you know what happens next, and like it's just you ask the person above you, oh, what do we do if this happens? It's just pretending. Is that I don't know. I'm at the bottom, and all at the top. Is it just pretending? Is it? Yeah, it's pretending. It's pretending. Yeah. Cool. Oh, amazing. Um, with that, should we give a massive round of applause to Helen? Hi everyone. Um, so it's always interesting to me what parents teach their children when they're growing up. And particularly it's intriguing to me because I know very vividly that when I started school, I knew the alphabet. Um, and I knew this because I was being sat in alphabetical order and I was sat next to a boy called J.D. Hetherington <laughs> and next to someone called Adam Isaacs. And I thought, well, that's not where I go because it turns out that I didn't know my own name. Um, now, before you judge my parents too harshly, it's important to remember that like, the way you name people across the world varies hugely. And so you might know that like, with Russian names, your surname might vary based on your gender. And like, in different cultures, your surname might come before your first name and all this stuff. And sometimes that's like an academic thing that you know. But when your family like mine is from Norway and India and Northern Ireland, which is a bit more boring, um, the concept of like, how you name your child is interesting. And so what my parents very wisely did, they looked at Norway, they looked at India, they looked at Northern Ireland, and what they did was made me a Dutch and Scottish surname. <laughs> now, there are only four of us in the world, so to protect my family, who I often tell stories about, I won't tell you what my full name is, but I will tell you that it rhymes with Google Earth My Home. <laughs> my stand-in name for the rest of the show. Um, so there I was in school. And I was like, but my name is Helen, my home. Why would my home be between J.D. Hetherington, who was trouble, and Adam Isaacs, who seemed sweet, but like I could have been further down the line. Um, and so, yeah, so all through my life, this name has kind of been, been an interesting aspect because I'm the kind of person who, when you fill in like a DBS check or a background check, and they're like, have you ever gone by any other names? I'm like, why, yes. <laughs> Helen Googler, <laughs> Helen, my home. Helen Google Earth, my home. <laughs> and I've also like, worked in a lot of interesting places, and so that means that 
I can never remember how people will know me or refer to me. Um, and the, the story I'm going to tell is, is about my experience. Um, I once, I think I was about 19, I got a phone call. I should preface this by saying I'm about to do an accent. And I'm not doing it because I think I can do accents. I'm doing it because it's really important to the story. Um, <laughs> so I got, I got this phone call. So I phone rang, I picked it up. I said, hi. And he said, hi, is, uh, is that Helen? And I said, why, yes, it is. And he said, well, sure. You don't sound like Helen. Um, I should clarify, this is a Northern Irish accent. I think we can all agree. It's a highly competent one. Well, sure, you don't, you don't sound much like Helen. And I was like, well, I, I'm fairly certain that I am. My first name never changes, which is helpful in these situations. And he said, well, well sure. Uh, you're, you're not my babysitter, are you? And I was like, no, my friend. That I at least know about myself. Um, and he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he like, hung up the phone. And I was like, that, at that point is a relatively normal interaction with someone, just a funny coincidence. Then I got another phone call from him. Pick up the phone, hello. He went, hi, is that, is that Helen? I was like, no, well, yes. But I think, once again, not who you're looking for. And he was like, right, well, I have Helen's number in my phone. I've rung that number, and you've picked up, and um, you're not Helen. And I was like, well, again, it's complicated, but I am. And he was like, who are you? And I was like, I'm Helen. Um, Helen. And I was like, okay, he's Northern Irish. I'll try the, the, the most obvious option. Helen, my home? And he was like, no. And I was like, Helen, Google Earth? And he was like, no. And I was like, Helen, Google Earth, my home? And he was like, no. And then he was like, what? What are you playing at? <laughs> because <laughs> I acknowledge that at this point, I seem very suspicious. <laughs> and he was like, look, have you got Helen's phone? Is she okay? And I was like, I'm, I, I hope she is. Are you okay? And, and also at this point, I was like, why does he have my number? I started cycling through all of the ways that he might know me. Like, did I want to make dog food for him? It's possible. Um, and, and I was like, look, I think I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go. So I hung up the phone. And then he rang me again. And he was like, hi, is that Helen? And I was like, once again, no. And he was like, well, look, I've, I've not just, sorry. The accent is very difficult to achieve this well. Um, I've not just, just got your number in my phone. I've got it on a piece of paper and it's still your number, so this is Helen's phone. And I was like, it is, it's true. Um, <laughs> and I was like, okay, look, I've tried every name I have, so why don't you tell me your name? And he was like, I'm, I'm, I'm he wasn't sure. <laughs> He'd been quite threatening. <laughs> um, so I slowly convinced him, and he was like, well, well sure, this is, uh, this is Ken Livingstone. And I said, <laughs> drifting into my Northern Irish accent, we're sure you don't sound much like Ken Livingstone, do you? <laughs> and then I was like, Ken, Ken. I'm Helen, my home. And with the accent, he was like, oh yeah, no, Mary's girl, okay, yeah, sure. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know I had your number. And I was like, good, good luck finding your babysitter, my friend. <laughs> Thank you.
that's very funny. I can't say that's ever happened to me. <laughs> um, yeah, that's... Yeah, and I think your Irish accent was lovely and definitely goes into the realm of, like, acceptable accents for people to, to do, you know. They're not like a... You know, we love, the, we love that... God, what's happened? <laughs> um, amazing. Thank you so much. Great <laughs> the first half. How'd it go? <laughs> Thank you so much to all our storytellers. We still have plenty of slips and loads and loads of room in the hat for more stories. So if one has popped up into your head just while you were listening there, I definitely encourage you to grab a pen and put a story in. And we could always do with more one-line stories as well. Um, yeah, so we'll have a 15-minute interval now. Um, I mean, obviously that's not 15, but what do you want from me? Like, <laughs> um, cool, and um, we'll finish off with a one-line story, if it's a funny one, and if not, I'll do another one. Um, okay. Um, trying to pull tourists into a bar in Spain using known technique. I was rubbish. In a moment of desperation, I gave up all known ideas from that moment onwards. I couldn't go wrong. I still can't explain why. Ooh, so you like got the got the hang of getting them to getting them drunk. That's like you got the hang of it in the end. <laughs> That's like the story. That's so cool. Oh. Um, everybody have a wonderful interval. Go and tell someone that you like their story. Grab a drink. Go to the toilet, and I'll see you in fifteen minutes. Woo! <laughs> Bristol Story Slam! Woo! Yeah. We've definitely got a few more of you here than we did in the first half, so thanks so much for joining. Um, brilliant. And just a quick recap for those of you who are new what the Slam is all about. You, tell, you can put your name in the hat, you tell a true story on stage. It's got to be five minutes, and then after you've had five minutes, you'll hear a ukulele. Um, and... Then you have one minute of grace period to wrap up your story. Um, and then after that one minute, so after your six minutes, you'll hear this sound. And then you'll also, we also have some lights up here. Uh, and those lights, well, only the storyteller can see them, but when they're lighting up, that means that one light means you have one minute left and two lights means that we loved your story and you're absolutely brilliant at telling it, but your seat is missing you. <laughs> Cushion is crying out, just, oh, generic name, generic name. Uh, come home. Um, so lovely, that's how it is with the stories, really. We've got content warnings on the back of the thing, so if your story has material which is really difficult to hear and talk about, then we still want to hear it, but um, there'll be a gap after I say, oh, the next storyteller is Anna. Oh, the content warning is this. There's normally a gap of a minute or two where I tell one-line stories such as... Uh, a story about the unknown. When I've been offered job of archaeologist in Canada, I was so scared I haven't checked where exactly I was going. The entire trip from Bristol to Williams Lake took 40 hours. I didn't want to come back to the UK. I hope that's because it was nice and not just because you were so tired. <laughs> um, but it sounds like you're back to the UK. 
so maybe Canada's not all that. Like, no, no, no. sorry. Oh god, I'm so rude. Lovely, gorgeous. Um, if I can have a drum roll, please. I'm about to read the next storyteller's name. It is Jenny Goodrim. Okay, and then the. Uh, and while you're having a minute to get yourself ready, Jenny, we uh, have this story. It's the same one. <laughs> Being in A&E after taking an overdose is not pleasant. But the most frustrating thing is not having enough brain power to understand the way to and from the toilet. Even though this has happened to me several times, I still, I still never know the way back to my bed. Um, yeah, that's really sad. Uh, oh, um. What are you saying? <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, that's really tough. Okay. In one or two sentences, tell us a true story about the unknown. That feeling of terror when you're in the supermarket, suddenly alone, you've lost your mum! <laughs> number now <laughs> hopefully that'll be okay oh gorgeous okay let's give a massive round of applause to our next storyteller Jenny Woo! <laughs> I want to tell you today about a few um unknown experiences that I've had over eight or nine years. I'm all to do with living experience, living with new people. So I virtually, when I left the school at 16, I went to a residential college for disabled students. And going from the school to college with a P-jump, at the school I had one-to-one -one support, and the support would be quite authoritative and controlling. Go to college and suddenly I'm in charge. And so we had care workers and we had support in the, in the education. Um, but I was suddenly in charge of all that. And I had to learn very quickly how to direct my support, how to tell people what I wanted them to do for me and how. So it was a big unknown to me, uh, and it was the first really crucial lesson that I learned when I moved away from home. And then I made up with them at college. I had an amazing two years, and my confidence we kind of on the floor after school really started up at college. I went to uni, I was really looking forward to it. I was very excited about meeting new people, making new friends. And then the first weekend of freshers happened. Well, it's like today evening and we're ready to go out to the freshers party. And I'm putting my boot on in my room. My flatmate knocked on the door. And I'll be out in a minute, I'm just in my boot room. I get out there and they come. They're already at the party. 
No, I'm literally about the person for a year. The next day, I walk out into the kitchen to find that they've all gone to rainbow to buy the stuff for that without me. Um, I was very upset. I went into my room and I cried. I, I ran my mum. I was just short at that point. Um, I came back half a year up. A few months later, I said, um, do you want to go out before Christmas to my flatmates? And we said, yeah, and then one led to the other. Oh, we ought to take Jemmy out before we go home for Christmas. Not great. I don't, I don't need taking out. I just suggested that we go together. Um, and that was, that was my first year was, was pretty horrible in terms of where I lived. Second year, um, I actually took out my brother to stay with me for the weekend because I was back and forth with new people and I was, I was really nervous. Based on my first year, I didn't know what we, what we were going to be like. Anyway, I didn't know it. I had two wonderful flatmates. We had a great year together um, and we became really good friends very, very quickly. Um, so I learned from uni how to live with different people and that you don't get on with everyone. Um, but we're waiting for the people you do get on with. And uh, then three years ago I moved in with a friend that I've known for years and years. And uh, you never really know someone to live with them, do I think we've all had our experience. And one of the big unknowns for me was when uh, she was, it was just a doula, which that was a, a bit strange. And she was, um, she was used to watching TV every night with whoever it was that she lived with. I found it quite a... Uh, Quite a pressure. Uh, I was at, sometimes I was out at night. Sometimes I was talking to my boyfriend. And then um, I just wanted my own space. Um, and so it was that that was complete unknown to me. And I had to learn to let my boundaries. I had to learn where those boundaries were. So. I think over these sort of living experiences, I'll, I'll have more of that in my ears. It really taught me that it, it, each, each different situation has been a chance to grow, a chance to find out where, where my boundaries are. So I think it's always good to go into a new situation and, and test yourself and see, let yourself go and see where you want to Thank you. Thank you so much, Jenny. Yeah, I really think 
flatmates could be a, a theme for just months as well. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny because we're all... We all know what it's like to live with someone who's good to live with, but just we can't all apply that and apply... Oh, <laughs> thinking about the people. But, um, yeah, thank you so much. Such a great story. <laughs> Fabulous. Our next storyteller... Actually, I put this back in because I don't know if she's here yet, but I'm just going to ask, is Jen here? Yeah, woo! Okay, because <laughs> your name is Jen, might be late. Uh, and th now it's time, cool. So the name, that's the name of our next storyteller, woo! <laughs> Amazing, and Jen, we'll give you a minute to um, prepare yourself, and then uh, in the meantime, here's a one-line story. Doorbell rang at 2 a.m. I hid from the assumed murderer. <laughs> Turns out my flatmate fell asleep after ordering pizza. <laughs> oh my gosh, so silly. If you're tired, go to bed. <laughs> Amazing. The, let's give a massive round of applause to Jen. Can you see me? Can I see? <laughs> Just close your eyes and get back 25 years ago. 25 years ago, it was a day, a sunny, beautiful day in a small village in Vietnam where I was born. My parents were not at home. They were in the hospital with my younger sister who passed away two years later. My oldest sister went to the market. Only me, my brother, and another sister stay home. Anyone love fish? Yeah. I'm not talking about fish, but... <laughs> I, I was crying to ask my brother to follow him, go for fishing. And he pampered me by saying, just stay home, I will catch beautiful fish for you. So I let him go, I stay back home with the second oldest sister, who four years older than me. We laughed, we ran around our garden until the afternoon. Suddenly, whoa, whoa, the dog barked. There was a lady in the age of 13 years old. She came inside our house with a bicycle. My sister and I ran to see her the lady looked at my sister and said, your parents want to see your little sister, so I will take her there. I am your aunt. As a seven-year-old kid, my sister had no idea who the lady was. She could not say anything as the lady continued. And my bicycle broken, so I'm going to take your family bicycle. As she said, she grabbed my family bicycle and then she put me on the bike and she drove away. After around 500 meters far from my house, I was excited because I'm going to see my, my parents who were away for some days. I just don't know why my sister was really you know, surprised. 
And I suddenly I hear like a really, really familiar sound. Jen, Jen, stay with me. And some second later, a person just stopped in front of me and the lady. And the person breathed in heavily and said, my sister will not go anywhere. She will stay with me. It was my brother. And the lady insisted, but your parents want to see her. My brother said, no, my parents want her to stay with me and take, I want to take care of her. The lady could not agree with my brother's determination, so he just drove the bicycle as fast as she could. My brother took me and held me tightly and ran home quickly. I didn't know what happened, why my brother didn't let me to see my parents. I, why my brother need to breathe so heavily? Why he's so terrified? I didn't know what's going on. And two years later, when I drowned in the river and he saved me, and I know why he terrified. He held me again and ran back home, and I know the feeling came from the feeling of losing her sister. My brother saved me again, as he did when I was three years old, from the lady. The unknown lady, nobody know who was she. But everyone believed she was a kidnapper. There's a lot of kids in my countryside at that time were kidnapped. And I was almost kidnapped. My mom, I always made a joke to my mom. If I would have been kidnapped, I would have been like a successful businesswoman. That's what happened in the movie at that time. I always saw in the movies, all the ladies, all the girls, all the kids were kidnapped, came back and became really successful and tried to look for their parents. And she looked at me and said, it's the most weird and craziest joke that you can make. <laughs> and, the deep down in me, actually, I felt really thankful. I felt thankful, and I have felt that to have that chance, I call that like the golden ticket to be my sister of my brother, to be the daughter of my parents. And uh, the unknown lady made me know that we don't need to wait for anyone to come and to kidnap us or to put us in the river to almost die, then we can just know that we already have the golden ticket, which is the now moment, which is what we have now. All we need to do is just to appreciate it. So we all have our now moment. So could you just do a favor? Kiss your girlfriend or boyfriend if you sit next to her now, or hug the person next to you and say thanks to be here, to be present and go home to say I love you with your mom, your dad and your sister and brother brother because you, you all have what you have now. You just need to appreciate it. Thank you. I just didn't expect 
there were moments in that story when I was like, this is horrible and scary and, like, shocking and I can't believe this happened. But then for you to end it with, but hey, it didn't. Like, <laughs> let's, let's be nice to each other. That's so good. Jen, come back. <laughs> come back next month. Thank you so much. Lovely. And the name of our next storyteller is <laughs> Caleb. <laughs> and while we give Caleb a moment to prepare himself, I bought a globular cake on a stick in Chiani Mai Market in Thailand. I was really looking forward to it because it was a cake and green and looked like a lolly. It also had a teeny tiny sausage in the middle. <laughs> very unknown and very unwelcome. <laughs> oh my gosh, oh my God. Life is full of surprises. <laughs> you guys, okay, let's give a huge round of applause to Caleb. Good Lord, I've not actually told a story here yet, despite working at the door for all of it. Um, yeah, I tried to write down a one-line story earlier and realised it didn't fit and thought I might try and tell it instead. But um, yeah, I, I'm an autistic nerd and I spent a lot of my life uh, when I was sort of 19 to 20-something working at a really, really easy and quite long-houred job with family. Uh, who were all also quite mad, which is where I got it from, as I sort of have it in stereo throughout my family. My brother and I are both um, obsessed with games. Um, instead of just thrusting him at the world, uh, she quit her job and opened a hobby store and brought every nerd in Yeovil into one spot, um, <laughs> which, which worked pretty well, um, all things considered. Although he now has a bit of a god complex because he was the sort of size of a house, uh, but, and also a psychopath, but never mind. Um, and as a result of being in this job for quite a while, I, I sort of wound up not going to uni and not doing a lot of things, and um, there are a lot of things that I just sort of wound up not doing, kind of by accident. And a few years ago, having never flown anywhere, I decided to try and like crack through that and stop it being something that I just presumed other people did. And um, uh, I'm a, a particular game that I'm obsessed with is Smash Brothers Melee. Any, anyone in the room? Yes, good. Um, <laughs> highest ranked Kirby in the UK. Um, which isn't because I'm particularly good, it's because he's shit and no one wants him. Uh, anyway, yes, so I went to go to a tournament in Sweden, in Gothenburg, and that, that was quite a peculiar experience, definitely where the unknown part of the story comes in. And um, there was 80-odd people all going to the same thing, all on the same flight from England as just a small gathering, like a fairy ring of nerds, and someone had brought a disposable CRT to leave in the, um, the airport. It was awesome. Um, and I, my housemate is petrified of flying, and she had always told me that the worst part was takeoff. And I sort of, I got through um, airport security and promptly threw up in my mouth. Um, forever right, anyway. Um, <laughs> and as I was getting towards the plane itself, I, I had this moment where I realized, that, that's the floor. It's going that way, and it's not coming back for a few hours. Shit. And, um, 
Uh, it's my legs sort of turned to jelly, and I wound up pulling myself up by my arm. He sort of briefly kissed my hand and touched the floor. Hi, I'll see you in a bit, hopefully. Um, and, and then, yeah, we, I was sat in there, and I had headphones in and didn't realise there's a room full of, well, a plane full of other nerds, and one of them turned around to, like, poke me. Apparently, I was panting like a dog. And it was, do you mind? <laughs> and uh, sort of gripped with what was apparently terror for the moment as the plane started accelerating, accelerating, and the world like, turned sideways and all of my terror was replaced with sort of child-minded awe. And I wound up sort of listening to Ludwig Kainaldi staring at the window, gripped with the beauty of stuff. Uh, and I woke up with like a small puddle of drool on my collar, having fallen asleep with my face against the window. But, um, and when I landed, I... They, it's quite, this is the part I tried to write in a one-line story, how uh, I, I was not prepared for the weather, and it was more rain than I had ever seen, and I didn't have an umbrella, I had a coat, and I was trying to find a university, uh, like a, it's, they, the thing had taken over an entire university, like the hall was full of, no. But, um, yeah, and I was trying to navigate through that, but it's quite a humbling experience not being the dominant language when you also have uh, for lack of a hood, put a plastic bag over your head um, and are marching around the streets of Gothenburg, which I imagine is quite beautiful if I could see more than this of it, which I couldn't. Um, and yeah, I'd be like, excuse me, do you know where this is? Noises that I don't, and I, yeah. I'm quite good at talking my way around things, but I am powerless if the recipient does not possess a firm grasp of English. Um, and yeah, when I finally got to the event, uh, eventually waterlogged and screaming, um, it was fantastic. All the different sort of classrooms had been like designated, like the German room, this room, the English room, that variety of languages, all debating something that I picked out the occasional word very relevant to a specific 15-year-old dead Nintendo. Apparently dead Nintendo. It should be dead, but it's not. Um, <laughs> And they'd filled the, the gym with what I can only describe as a church of nerding. They had this sort of non-specific place of worship and loads of pews, and then a cinema screen uh, with a streaming booth set up there. So there's different tribes of nerds all scattered around, chanting things in languages that I don't fully understand. It's fucking brilliant. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I don't really know how to end this story, but I've been again since, um, and it sort of cracked the seal on travel for me, because there's a lot of the thing to do with ADHD is, is uh, not the, hype, the, the fancy hyperactive kind that makes you do lots of stuff, the one where you just sort of stare at walls and, and continue staring. Uh, turning the desire to do something into actually doing it is, is quite fraught with problems uh, exchange. And it's become a lot easier. And, and I now love flying and will always aim for a window seat. Pro tip, wait until the end of the queue, because they, unless they've completely filled it, you can just sneak into whichever one you want and no one gives a shit. Uh, that can be the moral of the story, and I can end on that. Thank you very much. You found people who, the, who love the same things as you. That's what it's all about, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's so great. And yeah, yeah, it's horrible when things are scary and you can't explain why, and it's just oh, horrible. But I feel like that was a cool, happy ending. Oh. 
the name of our next storyteller is David Grant. Amazing. David, I'm going to give you a minute while I just read one of these stories, and then you can tell us about the unknown. Starting uni five years ago, went from awkward fresher to awkward graduate who can handle drink a bit better. (laughs) And if that's, yeah, if that's not worth 27 grand, I don't know what is. (laughs) I just, yeah, I have done the exact same thing. Um, Amazing. Big round of applause for David. Um, so this is kind of a story about someone getting like blown massively out of proportion and how being in a fishbowl is kind of weird. So I went on an exchange project uh, for about six months to South Africa and we were partnered up with people on this project. Uh, this was when I was about 19 years old. And um, so I get partnered up with this guy called Happy, which is probably one of the most ironic names in history. <laughs> um, so. The idea was that you're supposed to be partnered up with people about similar ages and we're all going to go do sort of voluntary stuff. It's all going to be lovely. And it turns out he's about 35 and was involved in the liberation of South Africa and so was quite a scary guy. But anyway, we're sharing a bed for three months straight. Uh, (laughs) And one of the other guys on the course basically said something that got taken massively out of a context and got accused of being a racist. And it all blew up. This all happened, in fact, whilst I was asleep. And so I woke up to find that everyone hated each other and it was all going to shit, Uh, which was great. And we did a lot of processing and everyone dealt with it. And we all kind of came together in a series of sessions to deal with how we felt about what had happened and to talk about how none of us really meant anything that had been said and that it was all just a thing that had occurred. But anyway, me and Happy don't speak for... Eight weeks? Eight weeks, yeah. We're still sharing a bed for six of those weeks. Uh, <laughs> we then come back. The exchange project goes from South Africa to Swansea. Uh, we come back and we, we slightly upgrade the scenario. We're in bunk beds now, so it's a little bit less intimate, but we still, we're still not talking. I mean, we maybe say hello across the breakfast table. It's a really weird scenario. Anyway, so I'm living with this guy who I, who I think has probably killed people. Not quite sure. Like, he's kind of implied he did stuff. Um, Yeah, he's quite a scary dude, like really intense. And it ends up, we're about two weeks into us being in Swansea, and I know he's got mates in London that he's been talking to and stuff. And anyway, it gets to this night, and I'm sat there having worked all day, and he just walks into the room, we still haven't really exchanged any presentries, he drops a four pack of strong oil on the bed. And he's just like, drink those, we're going out. (laughs) Shit. Uh, there's a part of my brain that's going, oh, you're, you're, you're going to die, aren't you? <laughs> He's a scary guy, and he wants to go out drinking with you, and we haven't talked about anything. And so I was kind of sad, like, fuck, damn. fuck. <laughs> uh, but then part of my brain went, no, 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 that's wrong. 
he's a good guy. He know he's a good guy. He's been involved in this project, and generally people are generally good, like kind of think. Um, so I drink the strong way, <laughs> and we go out, and we're walking into town, and the walk into town features some really, really lovely, really, really dark alleyways, and lots and lots of corners where anybody could be waiting. And the entire way, I'm just going, "Fuck, this is going scary." But we get to this first pub and he buys two pints and he turns around to me and says, bet you thought you were in trouble back there. <laughs> <laughs> and so the kind of the moral of the story is that when you're faced with an unknown scenario like that, when you're faced with anything like that, especially scary things, you can act in fear or you can act in love and you should always choose to act in love. Cheers. to a story to act in love not fear has anyone seen Donnie Darko <laughs> right that's what that was I think it, it, was, a, it was a long film <laughs> um, but yeah thank you so much so cool oh, um, yeah thank you for your story okay meanwhile my great aunt always kept her middle name a secret one day my sister tried all the intrigue she knew to prize it out of her. She succeeded after promising to keep it a secret and promptly returned to tell us all. <laughs> Knowing fully well what she was up to, my great aunt had told her it was Meshugana, the, <laughs> the Yiddish for crazy. <laughs> oh. I felt like there were some people who understood Yiddish in, this, in the audience, which just helps. Yeah, you do, yeah. Um, amazing. And then our next storyteller is Chloe. Woo! And there's... Um, uh, the content warning is passing mention of it's either sexual incidents or... Um, I can't tell what the other word is, but passing mention of sexual something. And in the meantime, I recently met Professor Marcus Dussault Toy. I recently met Professor Marcus Dussault Toy. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, who gave a lecture entitled What We Cannot Know. He's a mathematician asking which questions of the universe we can categorically say we'll never know the answers to. Deep, man, deep. Yeah. Yeah, he's a mathematician. <laughs> He's a cool guy. Oh. Um, lovely, yeah. I mean, probably I'd recommend the book. It's really cool. Yeah, oh, there's nothing to say about Marcus Tussauds. He's just great. I was planning to tell a story today about my first lesbian experience, but I got so drunk last night, I don't think I'm capable of standing up to tell it. Maybe next time. Next time, next time, yeah, exactly. And we've got like loads of, I don't actually know if we'll get through everyone today, so I'm really sorry, but we'll, we'll, we'll have a look. Now let's give a massive round of applause to Chloe. there's actually quite a lot of you. This is quite scary. Um, uh, so when I was 18, um, 
I took an internship in London, um, and being from Newcastle, this very unfortunately meant that I actually had to go and live in London. Um, and I found myself in some quite um, unusual living circumstances by virtue of the fact that um, I was on an unpaid internship, and so I was pretty much having to pay to live uh, whilst I was there. And the first flat that I took was, um, it was a spare room going in the house of someone I'd found on Airbnb. Um, who, from his picture, like it was this black and white picture of him with an elephant, and I thought, oh, okay, yeah, we both like elephants, we'll probably get on. Um, and he looked about like 25 in the picture, um, so I thought, you know, we're, we're close-ish in age, it'll probably be fine, uh, maybe he'll, he'll befriend me and um, London will seem less scary. Um, when I arrived, um, the taxi arrived on what was this Market Street in London that looked so dodgy, that the taxi driver actually turned to me and asked me to check the address before he dropped me off. Um, I then found myself walking into what was an abandoned factory building. Um, <laughs> and it looked as though the room had been crafted from the guy's bare hands. Now, I should add at this point that he was actually about mid-40s. Um, but it felt safe because he was a teacher. Um, I'm not sure why, but, <laughs> but it felt safe. So, so it was all fine. Um, and I was living in this room that... Um, like, it looked as though he'd made it with a staple gun and just a sheet. Um, so it wasn't particularly reassuring, given that if he did want to, like, come into my room in the night, all he'd have to do is get a biro to tear the wall down. <laughs> um, and the situation kind of got worse and worse as, um, like, he wasn't a bad guy, but he was quite odd. And he would just fall asleep and, in the middle of the living room, like, all hours of the day. Um, so it wasn't a particularly sociable experience. But also this um, quite questionable Market Street meant that every morning on my way to work, I found myself getting harassed. And actually, one night, I was attacked on my way home. And um, my, my colleagues were obviously quite concerned about this. So very nicely, the director of the organization I was working at suggested that I might like to spend the rest of my internship cat-sitting for her and instead move into her house. Um, so I moved across London and to another completely <laughs> unknown location. And something I should probably mention at this point is I'm not very good at being in houses by myself. Um, it heightens um, quite a significant security anxiety. So I arrive at this house and spend the first night checking everything, checking all of the doors are double locked, opening every cupboard to make sure there's not someone standing in them, checking under all of the beds, you know, as you do. Um, and um, as part of this, I close off all of the doors in the flat that I know I'm not going to need access to. So it's actually, it's two flats and I'm living in the top one, can't close off the downstairs kitchen because the cat will need to get outside, um, but everything else is closed off. Um, the following day I go to work, and I come home in the evening and I can't find the cat, and suddenly I hear this meowing, and um, I start hunting through the house, and I come to one of the doors that I knew I'd closed the night before and find the cat in there, and I think, oh, this is really hot. But I think, you know what, I've probably just not closed the door correctly. Um, so get the cat out, close the door properly, and think nothing more of it. I mean, I say I think nothing more of it. Of course, I check under all of the beds, open all of the cupboards, <laughs> close off all of the doors again, because, you know, just want to check there's no one there. Um, so the next day, I go to work, and I come home, and again, I can't find the cat. And the cat's back in this room. And I'm thinking, is there, like, an access point to the house that I just know, don't know about? So investigate, like, all of the walls in the room, can't find anything, close off again, and try to put it out of my mind, by which, again, I mean... I, you know, check that there's no one in the bath, check under the beds, <laughs> lock up all the doors again. Um, now, it gets to the weekend, and um, I don't know anyone in London, so most of my weekends involve just sitting in the flat doing nothing. Um, so I'm sat upstairs with the cat when I hear what sounds like the door opening very, very close. 
Um, so naturally, I grab the cat for my defense um, <laughs> and walk to the top of the staircase. And I look down and I see an arm coming around the edge of the door and pulling the chain. <laughs> As I'm just about to throw the cat and run, <laughs> um, I see the stepdaughter of the woman's house I'm staying in. So obviously, I'm fine. I live to the tail of the tail. She was lovely. Um, <laughs> Now, what I would say is, when there is someone staying in your house, um, generally, before you re-enter it, un, un, like, without announcement, it helps that if they've got the chain on, just knock. <laughs> um, and that's all. Thank you. <laughs> Spooky as well. Ooh. Thank you so much. That was really fun. Um, not for you, <laughs> but, you know, in the retelling of it. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Now, very sadly, we've only got time for one more storyteller. Aww. So I'm going to shuffle it out of fairness. Um, Gabriel! And while Gabriel is just getting ready, two stories. I hired a van when moving to Bristol a couple months ago with the knowledge that if I had an accident, the insurance would be £800 excess. Five grand later, a massive unknown. Oh, oh no. Oh. 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 So I cycle, so I can't, <laughs> I can't, can't relate. Um, but I'm trying to use my empathy. That would suck! Okay. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Um, story, story of the unknown parts of a new friendship. I met a bus driver who asked me to help him fix his boat. Thought that was a great idea. Didn't know that he would vote leave in the referendum <laughs> after I accepted his Facebook request. He unfriended me when he found out I was Remain. Oh. Never got to finish the boat. Oh my god, what a divided country! Oh okay, um, and now the um, massive round of applause for Gabriel! Hello. Um, so my story starts with uncertainty, um, or the unknown. Um, so I was traveling in India for most of this year, um, and I had an idea at one point towards the end of my trip that it might be nice to kind of finish it off with a meditation workshop of some sort. Um, but by the time I got round to applying, the, wait, the, um, it was, the course was already full, and uh, so that it was all, had gone onto the waiting list. Uh, so I put my name on the waiting list, um, and at this point I was in Nepal, several thousand miles away from where the meditation center was, um, and I didn't know if I was going to get a place on the course. Um, but they just, their advice was, just turn up anyway. Um, so I, I, I did. I travelled several thousand miles by bus um, in, of an international border between Nepal and India. Um, there's a lot of bus journeys in this, this story, actually. Um, <laughs> and it took three days uh, of um, constant bus journey. Um, 
by the time I got to uh, Dharamsala, which is where the meditation workshop was, high in the Himalayas, um, I was a bit worse for wear, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, and I showed up at the meditation center. I'd climbed, basically climbed a massive mountain with a big backpack on my back. I had no idea whether I was going to get on the course or not. Um, and I was sat down waiting. All of the people on the waiting list had to uh, wait together to see if they would get a place. Um, and in my head, the whole time I was thinking, this is a test, this is a test, that you must not be attached, you must, you must be very Buddhist about the whole thing. If you want this, then it won't happen. But, but then now I'm thinking that if I want this, then I have to think that I don't want it. And, you know, I, 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 so <laughs> um, I tried to clear my mind. I tried to be very Zen about the whole thing. Um, and as I was sitting there, um, I was just sort of looking down. I looked up and I saw the most beautiful man I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I was instantly completely smitten. Um, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to speak to him at that point. I then found out that I, was, I did have a place on the course. Um, and from that time on, it was 10 days of complete silence, um, having just seen the man of my dreams. Um, <laughs> and uh, then, so I was very happy to get a place on the course. Um, I went up to the dormitory to put my things down in, um, in the dormitory, and the, the guy um, was in the bed next to me. Um, I thought, great, um, ten, 10 days of silence, and, uh, and not, you're not even supposed to look at people or communicate in any way, really, with other people. Um, so that was the beginning of an interesting time. Um, I also then realised that the Brexit vote would be taking place two days before the end of the retreat, and I was completely cut off from the outside world for the whole time that I was there. So I knew um, that there would be two terrible days where I, I didn't know what was happening. Um, so anyway, so uh, the, the retreat was amazing, um, but and as I was, you know, meditating on um, how attachment leads to suffering, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of suffering, a lot of, you know, get rid of your attachment. Uh, this was the main theme of, of, the, of the retreat. Um, I was becoming increasingly attached to a guy who I'd never spoken to, but um, <laughs> was spending most of all day, every day, uh, spending quite a lot of time looking at. And you know how when you really like someone, you know exactly where they are all the time. Um, <laughs> and, and you're kind of doing this and you're you know, looking here, and you're like, oh, did, is, he, is he looking at me, or, am I, or did, I, did, did he see me looking at me? What? I shouldn't be thinking about this, I shouldn't be thinking about this. I was writing in my diary at the time. I, f I must have filled pages and pages about him, but more pages about how I shouldn't be writing about him and how I should be <laughs> concentrating on becoming enlightened and getting rid of all of my attachment to, to things, especially people I've never met or spoken to. Um, <laughs> and uh, so... Um, Two days before the end of the course, I knew that Brexit was happening. Um, and also, um, two days before the end of the course, I went up to my dorm and his bed was empty and he was gone. Um, and for a moment I was like, he's gone, that's it. He's left, he's left my life, I'll never get a chance to find out anything about him. Um, but then I saw, uh, I, went, I went over to my bed and there on the pillow of my bed was a rather long note which he had written me um, and uh, I was very pleased by this trying not to be too pleased of course um, 
but so so then for the last two days of, of the of the retreat, I was um, conflicted about my feelings about Brexit and my feelings about this guy and um, not kn not knowing. I was I was in a state of great unknowing, um, but I was able to kind of you know stay sane more or less. Um, so then. I, when I came out of the retreat and I found out the Brexit result, I was I was very I was you know I was very down about that. That was I was a Remainer, um, and but I'd written in my diary just before I left the retreat. I said if I, if it was going to be one or the other, I would lose the boy and keep <laughs> keep the EU. <laughs> um, <laughs> and unfortunately, it happened the other way around. Um, and when I got out of um, the the uh, retreat. Um, he'd already moved on to another town. Um, I got in touch with him, um, and I, I just heard that it's the um, time time to finish. Um, but then the other unknown was I didn't really know how he felt about me, um, and I took a gamble and I went on another ten-hour bus journey through the Himalayas to the town where he'd gone on to, just to have coffee with him and see what what the deal was, basically. <laughs> And um, we we got along we got along really well, and we had a, a, a brief encounter, and it was beautiful. Uh, and then I freaked out a little bit, and then I had to run away to the Taj Mahal, and uh, I left him a very long note, and he couldn't read it because he was Israeli, and my handwriting is terrible. And um, <laughs> so then I had to explain everything to him on Facebook. But anyway, um, the moral of the story is um, I faced lots of unknowns, and um, it was it was fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> In the end. I was, had moments where I was like rooting for you and him, like even more than like us and the EU. <laughs> I was like, oh, I just want oh, the letter. Oh my god. Oh, what a classic love story, you should, yeah. Write it down. <laughs> um, amazing. We've, we've actually gone over a tiny bit, so I'm afraid, yeah, like I said, we, I'm really sorry we can't do all of the storytellers. If you put your name in the hat, please do come back next month and just wiggle your way into that month's theme. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> um, yeah, um, yeah, but thank you so much, all of you, for coming. Just a few housekeeping things. If you could, if you have a glass or a plate or anything, if you could bring it up to the bar for us, that would just really help us out, so then we don't have to bring it. Um, and also, if... I know the storytellers get to tick something on the box, but if you were photographed and you didn't want to be... Uh, do just let one of us know, someone who looks like they work here, or the box office, or Elsa the photographer, or someone like that. Um, and obviously, tune into our podcast. I think our domain name for our website is storyslam.co.uk. Right? Like, take that, London. <laughs> right? Like, we're not just Bristol Story Slam, we're the Story Slam UK. So, ooh, happy, happy. Um, okay, everyone have a wonderful month. Our next, uh, next event is... The Sunday 20th of November that month, na next month, Sunday 20th of November, 2 p.m., same time, same space, and follow us on Facebook and you can find out what the theme is. Um, and just have a lovely day and a great journey home. Goodbye. <laughs>
And that is the end of our show for today. We hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to tune in next week for more true stories told live on stage. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at speakeasystoryslam at gmail.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook where you can get more news about the slam, but also see photos from the event. Um, also, if you'd like to tell us a story in person, then please come join us for our live events. They are every third Sunday of the month at the Wardrobe Theatre in Bristol, UK. We can't wait to see you. So from everyone here at Story Slam, have a great week.